and welcome to Protestia tonight for the evening of Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the program that we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting to sinners, and edifying to the saints. A program with sincere questions and biblical answers. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a couple, hopefully, very interesting topics for you to talk about tonight that we are going to get right into as well. I am monitoring um, moni- monitoring to see if I can uh, catch live uh, the Daily Wire's Megan Basham on Tucker Carlson tonight, uh, which I believe is coming soon. So if that pops up, we're going to jip that. And jip means to join in progress, J-I-P, join in progress. We'll jump off of what we're talking about to jump into that real quick and and see what's going on. The topics that we have on deck for you tonight are some some interesting some interesting um allegations uh really brought out by a, a anonymous Twitter account regarding um Bruce Ashford, a former provost and professor um at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and not really in reference to um trying to figure out necessarily if uh, the allegations against him are true, but really trying to explore why this was of no interest to the Southern Baptist Convention's sex abuse task force last year. We're going to be discussing that. We'll also be talking about um, another addition to, and some of you may not know who she is, but the psychologist and author Sheila Gregory, who has joined the, and this has been a while ago, but joined the, what I like to call the rags, the Roy's abuse grifters. And those that have decided that they need to set up camp on on this idea that every every man is a would be abuser if they hold to biblical teachings on marriage and submission of a wife to a husband within marriage. We're going to talk about that, um, starting with a tweet thread of hers that I found um, very telling. We'll put it that way. We're going to be we're going to be talking about that. Um, as with everything, you can always go over to protestia.com to see the latest. And to support us on Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash protestia for $5.95 a month, you can support this program and the website and, and all the work that's being done over here financially uh, for the cost of a couple cups of coffee, or depending on what you get at Starbucks, maybe one cup of coffee every month. Um, you can do that on Patreon. You can also subscribe to the insurgency email list. So there's a little pop-up that uh, will pop up on the website from time to time. I think I have it set up about once every every half an hour. So if you, you dismiss it, it won't be there for a little while. It may pop up again to join the insurgency email list. You can also join. And it looks like our program is going. We're going to jip this in progress. This is uh, Megan Basham on Tucker Carlson tonight. See if I can get this in. Surprising because when you look at the situation here, they are ejecting monks from an 11th century monastery. Um, there are saints buried beneath this church. And you don't see this type of behavior in liberal democracies. And so you think those who held Zelensky out as a particular hero who cheered him, who assured us this is someone that we need to support, that we need to throw our support behind as Christians would now be questioning his particular actions. And we're not seeing. So this is I'm going to pause it for a second. We'll get right back to it in just a second. This is Megan Basham of The Daily Wire talking about Vladimir Zelensky, the dictator of Ukraine. And yes, he is a dictator. Uh, Russia versus Ukraine are really two authoritarian countries, two authoritarian governments. 
um, at war with one another. And only one seems to get any sort of negative attention whatsoever from our, our country or our government. And really they, they both deserve uh, negative attention. Let's get back to uh, this again is a uh, Meg Basham on Tucker Carlson. Seeing that um, there's really been total silence as he has begun doing what can in many ways be called persecution of members of the Ukrainian Orthodox faith. So why is that silence there? Um, I would even point to the fact that we're not even seeing a lot of coverage of it from outlets like Christianity Today, which Russell Moore is the editor in chief of. And that's just some big questions that I have. How can you write so many essays about Trump who hasn't been in office for three years now, but really say nothing about what is religious persecution, possibly. Or Ukraine says they have found leaflets, but that's all that they're pointing to is um, they found some rubles and leaflets in these churches, not weapons, um, nothing you know particularly scary. So you have to wonder why the silence? Mm -hmm. Well, it's absolutely shameful. They're closing churches and arresting priests? And Christian leaders here say nothing about it. I think that's, I think it's genuinely shameful. And, and, and I'm going to add a little context here. I'll pause it again, add a little bit of context. This is um, the, what a lot of people don't seem to know about Zelensky and, and Ukraine. He, he basically employs the exact same dictatorial, um, you know, policies and procedures and things as Vladimir Putin, uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, through his political opposition in prison. Um, we, we, We've seen evidence at this point that the war crimes are really more coming from the Ukrainian uh, forces, uh, not only against um, potentially against Russian troops, but also against the Ukrainian, the Ukrainian civilian population. And this is just something that is not being picked up by our media. I'm not saying I'm not saying that Russia invading Ukraine was necessarily uh, justified in some way. Um, but all of the, all of these ideas that Vladimir Zelensky is somehow a good guy are false and ridiculous. I mean, we have people in evangelicalism like Bart Barber, uh, sharing, you know, uh, tweets and things talking about Zelensky being uh, the man of the year and a hundred percent, that's a great thing. And like, you're ignorant if you think that Vladimir Zelensky is a good guy. Well, and I appreciate your reporting on this subject. Megan, thank you so much. Good to see you. Thanks so much, Tucker. So one man who was at the Capitol. All right. So it looks like Tucker's going to jump back to um, January 6th kind of stuff, which is important, but we're going to get on with what we're doing now. Before I get to um, all of the, the, the topics of this live stream and this podcast, if you're listening to the audio format, which you can now search around for. Um, search around for protesting tonight on your favorite, uh, you know, on Apple or Spotify or wherever the, the issue you may have at this point is there are two protesting tonight's because there's an old Bible thumping wingnut one that, uh, stopped at about September, 2022. And then there's a new one that hopefully, uh, you will be able to find as well. And that'll get you the, the latest, of course, that'll only get you the freeloader side. Um, there's also a PTVIP, which we will stream to, uh, after this, uh, as well. So let's get to let's get to our topics here. Let's get right into it. You know what? Before we get to that, the most important thing, we always start the program with this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that answer, answers the bad news. And the bad news is that you and I were born into sin. Everybody born except for Christ himself was born into sin and rebels against God and deserving of hell. And yet God loved, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. Uh, did not sin in either thought, deed, desire, any of those things, earning righteousness on our behalf. 
and suffered and died in our place on the cross, that salvation is available to us if we place our faith, hope, and trust in him and repent of our sins, as the scripture says. And of course, the next question always becomes, okay, you have faith in Jesus, which Jesus well, it's the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Scripture. Go to the Bible, to Scripture, to identify the real Jesus versus the false one, which is a big primary reason that protestia exists, because those that believe in a false Christ, those that, be- that believe in a false nature of salvation, in a false nature of humanity, and humanity's need for a Savior, which of course uh, results from our depravity, um, are lost people. They, they're the ones that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7 when he says, that there will be those that say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. And so discernment and polemics ministry is uh, at its core uh, evangelism, as we evangelize those that that believe in some cases that they're saved and they aren't. Uh, But if you place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You will be saved. That's a biblical promise. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus today for the salvation of your soul. Now, Jesus died on that cross, and on the third day— was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, seen by hundreds and hundreds, if not more, uh, witnesses, and then ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Um, If you have any questions about what the gospel is, please reach out to us. We are not hard to find. Um, In fact, we are so not hard to find that our first subject here, Sheila Gregory, um, found, found me, I guess, offensive enough to block me on Twitter, and yet somehow... That doesn't always work, and there are other Twitter accounts and things and whatnot. I guess you just didn't want to interact. Uh, but this is this is Sheila Gregory, the sexpert, as we're going to call her. You know, and before I start talking about Sheila Gregory, I want to warn you, if you're listening to this podcast uh, or you are um, watching the live stream or you're watching a replay on, on Protestia Live or whatever, um, the next th- this topic that we're going to get into is going to, let's just say it's not, you know, unless you're Sheila Gregory, it's not for kids. I'll explain why I said that uh, as we get into it, but we're going to be talking about um, explicit, you know, potentially explicit stuff. So you have kids listening to this, uh, I would encourage you to listen to it some other time or um, or whatever, listen to it on your headphones, something like that, because it's we're, we're probably going to get into topics that I would argue are not for children's ears. So let's let's start by um, talking about who this person is. So Sheila Gregory is a psychologist. I'll put this on here. She's a psychologist and she describes herself on her Twitter feed or her Twitter uh, profile as healthy evidence-based biblical commentary on sex and marriage, author of the great sex rescue, the bear marriage podcast, and apparently releasing a book soon called she deserves better. And she, yeah, she, Sheila Gregory fancies herself as someone that is going to counsel and instruct Christian couples on how to, well, in, in most ways, how to have a better sex life how to have better sex as a Christian couple. Um, but it becomes very clear, very clear, very quickly that her real, um, goal with all of this is her real goal with all of this is egalitarianism and, basically leveling what the Bible actually instructs for men and women biblically in marriage to make everybody the same. I will explain why this is the case and how this relates to some of the Me Too stuff, some of the SBC2 stuff, some of what Rachel Den Hollander promotes, some of what 
what um, our our uh, favorite objective journalist Julie Roy's um, promotes. And yeah, Sheila Gregory's been on Roy's uh, podcast. She she actually quotes uh, or, or references Den Hollander, Den, Den Hollander positively in her book, her great sex rescue book. Um, but really, what there are two things that that made me want to talk about this specifically. The first is personal, and I've I've alluded to this before. Um, but the, the basically some friends of mine, I would argue, have seen their 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 marriage and their relationship torn to shreds by focusing on and implementing some of the um, the false teachings in Sheila Gregory's book and some of these ideas as opposed to other ones. And, and how this came to me is, or, or how, how this kind of got on my radar is um, of, the, of these friends. And I don't want to get too specific because, because the goal is not to draw, you know, for anybody to figure out who this is or something. It doesn't really matter. The principles are what's important here, but they, 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 they basically like a small group or something like that that I knew was going through, um, Emmerich's love and respect, which I believe is a focus on the family book. And, um, I didn't know anything about the book. I, I, I downloaded it and, and read some of it to kind of get acquainted with it. But they, uh, the, the wife here was basically talking about how much she hated that book and how much she thought that book was damaging and how much, um, you know, that, that, that she thought it was promoting sort of this, this unbiblical view of, um, husband and wife relationships and patriarchy and all this. And instead she was reading through Sheila Gregory's, um, great sex rescue book. And then, you know, it was not very long. It were it seemed, Hey, they, they, they seem to have a, ha- a, a, a loving relationship here, challenging, like a lot of relationships are and all this. And it wasn't very long before it all hit the fan and they were separated and, and looking at divorce and there's kids involved and all this. And I mean, I would argue just from what I've read and, and my analysis of, uh, Sheila Gregory's book here and her ideas. These are the kind of ideas you want to implement if you want to see your Christian marriage torn apart from the inside out. They're that bad. A lot of terrible ideas. Now, I'm not saying every idea in her great sex rescue book is is false. It's not. There are some true things. Um, but the framework is is unbiblical by leaps and bounds, very clearly unbiblical. And um so that was the first reason that really got this, or the first thing that really got this on my radar. And the second one was, um, she decided to jump in. No, no uh, surprise here into the, I guess this happens every March. I don't know this debate about David raping Bathsheba, whether that was, uh, how it went down or not. And she decided to jump in. But then of course, because you know, her, the, her theology is so broken on these things, decided to go even one step further and tweeted this out. She said, I want to say this carefully, but firmly, okay? There is a reason to be worried for the wives and daughters of the pastors and other men who've been tweeting about how David didn't rape Bathsheba. The women you know in real life may need your help. So for those of uh, us out there, like myself, that are saying, um, we can't actually demonstrate that King David raped Bathsheba from the text. That can't actually be pulled from the scriptural account itself. Uh, and so if you're saying that, there's you're either reading your own thing into the text and putting in events and, and, and characterizations that aren't there, or you have a different standard for what you would consider to be rape, which I think is more like Sheila Gregory's position here. Um, 
that's that's a lot of us were saying that, including myself. She's she's sitting here saying um, that uh, you need to be worried for the wives and daughters of guys like me, pastors and other men who have tweeted about how that we don't think that David raped Bathsheba. Um, yeah. And, and, and I still hold to that position because it cannot be determined that that's what happened from the text. And I go back to the biblical text when I'm trying to figure out anything that's happened scripturally. She continued here. We know from our surveys that of 32,000 and, and I'll explain this in, in a little bit that marital rape is widespread in evangelical marriages 18 to 25% consistent with other research. So she's claiming from her research that um, 18 to 25% of evangelical marriages, the husband is raping his wife. That's what she's claiming here. She said, we also found that those that hold to hierarchy in marriage are 2.7 times, 2.7 times more likely to say their wife is obligated to give sex when they want it. Now this is just her. She's regurgitating things. She wrote in her great sex rescue book, right? She said men who can't under, can't see the non-consensual nature of David and Bathsheba are unlikely to understand consent in their marriages. Men who hold to a very hierarchy, hierarchical view of marriage are more likely to feel entitled to sex and to not understand what consent looks like. If you know men in real life, who've been saying that David didn't rape Bathsheba, like this, like this one, the one who's hosting this podcast right now, um, that's a red flag. So yeah, so so I'm a red flag to her. Though there may not be anything wrong, these men do have a higher risk of being in the abusive category. Oh, okay. Consider checking in with their wives and kids privately. Now, so what she's saying here is if you see a Christian man who doesn't think David raped Bathsheba or at least isn't sure or can't pull this from the text, uh, he's more likely to be an abuser and you should probably interfere with his marriage and his family. Let's see if you see, see if you can cause some grief and some strife in his marriage. See if you can, maybe you can reach out to his wife and kids and say, you know, maybe, maybe float the idea. Hey, did you know, did you know that your husband, your, your pastor husband or your, 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 um, your Christian husband here doesn't think that David raped Bathsheba. Now, are you okay? Are you okay with that? You know, and, and just so you know, you might not have thought about this before, but what you've always thought consent means, it actually means something different. You see, Sheila Gregory has a very unbiblical definition of what consent means. Um, and she, she, she puts this into everything she says, everything she does. And if someone who believes as she believes reaches into your marriage and starts um, trying to talk to your wife and kids, she's going to be applying an unbiblical standard to what she says to them and planting ideas that the scripture just doesn't teach. She said, try something like, you know, the rates of marital abuse and sexual coercion in marriage are so high. And the problem is we can never know what goes on behind closed doors. Well, she claims to know, right? So I'm, I'm just telling all my friends, if you ever need help. If you ever need to talk, I'm here. You don't need to ask directly if they are okay. Many won't admit anything is wrong at first, but let them know you are a safe option. Now, this is important because she, you know, someone like her may reach out to a Christian wife and say, um, you know, Hey, is everything okay? And the Christian wife will be like, well, yeah, everything's fine. And then she'll say, Hey, but, but did you know 
Did you know that um, if there's any sort of authority structure in place whatsoever, if there's any sort of power differential, then you can't consent to sexual activity? You're unable to consent? See, that's her position here. Sheila Gregory's position is that if there is any power difference whatsoever, whatever the situation may be, then consent is impossible. It cannot exist. And this is the, the, the back door into forcing unbiblical egalitarianism into the marital relationship. So let's, let's, let, let me, let me explain this, how this, how this logical math works. And then we're going to go to the Bible as she doesn't, or she, as she ignores in her writings and things, but let's start with, here's how this works. If you accept, if you accept, um, that any power differential, any authority whatsoever between two people. And of course, I mean, everybody knows from every human relationship, there's always different dynamics. You know, even in a single relationship, there can be different power differentials and and different components that all the time, that's just the nature of human relationships. But if you accept first and foremost, that anytime there's a power differential whatsoever, and especially if it's the man who has a power differential over a woman, whether it's his own wife or not, anytime that exists, consent cannot truly exist. She can't consent if he has any power over her, then the only way for marital sex to not be rape, according to Sheila Gregory, is if we erase the power differential at all. Basically, if, if we, we, we have to throw away the idea that the Bible teaches wives to submit to their husbands, we have to throw that away entirely in order for that husband to not be a rapist. Sounds ridiculous? It is ridiculous. And yet that's exactly what she teaches. So this, this book of hers um, uh, teaches this idea, this idea that power differential means there's no consent. And um, she, she pushes this idea on her website, which she, she now calls this website Bear Marriage. This is an article published there on August 7th, 2020, um, entitled Five Ways to Teach Your Kids Shame-Free Sexuality. Yeah, Sheila Gregory is going to tell you how to, she's going to, she's going to show you, and I'm not sure through reading this, if she wrote this or if this other psychologist um, that she's pointing people to this, this Enneagram promoting psychologist that, that she's pushing everybody towards wrote this. It's could be one or the other, but, but Sheila Gregory is um, suggesting here um, every night in, this is on her website. Again, I, I, I can't say for sure whether she wrote this or whether somebody else did uh, this other person, but it's on her website. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, she takes responsibility for it. She says every night when my husband and I bathe our two-year-old daughter, two-year-old, two-year-old daughter, I take the opportunity to teach her about her body. Yes, that's, this is essential to two-year-olds, according to Sheila Gregory. Now we're washing your arm, I say, as I glide the washcloth over her little arms and hands. Now your tummy, I say, as she giggles, repeating the words after me. Tummy, I guess. would. <laughs> let's clean your legs. Okay, now your bottom. Okay, now let's get your vulva. Um, she goes on to, to chastise James Dobson and focus on the family for uh, apparently how they, they botched this by not assuming that kids are sexual beings when they're two years old. Um, but she said, yeah, the myths of purity culture and, and shame over being in, and she says, she says, uh, specifically here, 
if healthy sex is more sexuality is about more than just sex, then my daughter, even at two years old, is a sexual being. Now, our culture and our understanding of that phraseology would indicate that a sexual being is somebody who uh, is enabled and capable and has the the bodily maturity, the emotional maturity, um, the the age they've they've grown up enough to engage in sexual activity. That's what that means. It doesn't just mean they have reproductive organs. It's not what it means. And yet there, there's a twisting of the terminology here. So, so according to Sheila Gregory and her website, um, her two-year-old is a sexual being. A two-year-old is a sexual being. God, and goes on to, I mean, I mean, and, and it's, it's so ironic because as all of these folks and, and Sheila Gregory's in this camp criticizing Josh Butler over at TGC for sexualizing the using, using overtly sexual comparisons between Jesus and the church with husbands and wives. And, and we rightly criticize that as well. Uh, they're over here teaching stuff. That's not that different it says God created us all with the desire to be known and loved and the capacity for connection. It is natural for a toddler to want to be touched, held, cuddled, and kissed. And okay if they don't want that. And it is natural for a teenager to desire physical and emotional connection with others. Let's affirm our children, our children as sexual beings. Yes, Sheila Gregory recommends that you affirm your children as sexual beings. Because after all, I mean, if you write a book called The Great Sex Rescue, well, that's the framework through which you're going to, um, I guess, engage in all different parts of life. She goes on to, to, to try to, to try to justify this. And of course the, the, the Christian answer is they're a child. They have not reached any, any level of sexual maturity whatsoever. And yes, will the time come for that talk? Yes. Maybe as a two-year-old though, you let her be a two-year-old. Maybe that would be the answer, but alas, that is not the case going on with, with Sheila Gregory. Now her book, she pushes a couple different ideas in her, in her, um, idea of marital relationships here. And it really informs how, how damaging this can be if somebody attempts to apply this to their marriage. And one of them is if you're pressured to do something you don't want to do, it's not a safe relationship. So you, if you ever feel like, I don't really want to, but I feel some sort of a pressure to anyway, uh, well, the relationship's not safe. I'm supposed to inherently distrust any instinct I have to be potentially self-sacrificial and say, well, you know, I'm not really in the mood, but I love my spouse enough, um, that I'm willing to, to, you know, um, to, to, uh, be intimate with them anyway, according to Sheila Gregory. Hey, that. That's, that, that's pressure. And if you don't 100% agree in that moment, well, any, anything you do in opposition to that is automatically unsafe. It's automatically abusive. It's, it's something you shouldn't be involved in. Now, of course, if we go back to, um, we go back to biblical teachings on this, let's, we're going to go to Ephesians five, where Paul writing to the Ephesian church under the inspiration of the Holy spirit, this is the word of God itself says this. Um, this is, and, and you know, I'm going to start up in Ephesians 5, uh, 21, where we're talking about relationships within the body of Christ, the church, Christians with one another, um, in the broader corporate scope. Um, it talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submission, 
uh, hupatasso, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but that's the Greek word. And then Ephesians 5.22 goes on to um, specify this more. Lest anybody is confused, this is the order and the nature of the, the biblical marriage, the marital relationship as God created it. Wives, submit, there's that word again, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So Paul makes a comparative here to say in the same way that there is a submissive order within um, within the, the husband and wife relationship, this is a mirror of the submissive order between Christ and the church. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their should submit in everything to their husbands. So very clearly we can see biblically speaking, biblically speaking that there is a design here. There is a design that God laid out for the created order in the marital relationship. Now, you know, going back up to verse 21, we do submit to one another um, out of reverence for Christ within the body of Christ. And this, this submission is an understanding of um, stepping back and putting that person first or stepping back and let them be preeminent in whatever situation it is. This creates um, mutual Christian humility, right? This creates um, um, a situation where believers uh, um, are humble and giving and it's, it's servant leadership within the body of Christ. And we see the same thing in the marital relationship here as the husband is a servant leader. Yes, he's a servant for sure, giving himself for his wife, um, uh, sacrificing for her, protecting her um, in that, you know, um, an understanding of her being, being a wonderful gift to him um, and, and has charged to care for her and protect her. Um, but at the same time, he still leads. He's the servant, but he still leads. And, because of that, wives submit to that leadership. This is, it's plainly biblical. And yet somebody like Sheila Gregory, um, under this, the auspices of saying, well, that's not going to do good things for your sex life, basically does um, serious, um, um, unquestionable damage to what the Bible teaches about marriage and very clearly teaches that there's no question that this is what scripture teaches. Um, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, this is there's a related passage to this when we hear, when we, when we learn that, hey, you know, wives within the gathered body, if you have questions, um, don't interrupt the worship service. This was going on back then. Don't interrupt the worship service. Go home and ask your husband. Now, implied with that is the husband is supposed to take up this mantle of knowing the word, knowing the truth, being willing to um, edify his wife and his family through knowing these things as his responsibility. And we can see it here in, in verse 26. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, Christ loves the church by um, not only leading the church, but also pro- sacrificing himself for the church. This is the submissive position of the husband in the way that Christ submitted to the cross, Christ submitted to suffering and dying for the sake of saving the church in the same way a husband would submit to giving his life for his wife, putting himself in front and taking the arrows. 
That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Um, so that he might present the church to himself. Now this is of course, referring back to, back to Christ, that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now this of course is referring to the husband and wife being a one flesh union. Loving your wife is tantamount to loving yourself. It is, it, it is because that blessing comes back. The husband loves the wife. The wife loves the husband together. They are a team to an extent, but she is certainly his helper. She's certainly his helper. And there is an order here. There is a submissive order that the Bible talks about that is good for both the husband and the wife. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And then, and then he quotes, um, therefore a man should leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Again, Paul goes back to Genesis, which, which he does many times when teaching the churches here, the New Testament churches, um, how um, gender roles are supposed to work in the church. He pulls it back to Genesis, back to creation, back to how God designed things to be. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So basically, Paul's saying, hey, this created order, this way that man and, and husband and wife were designed to be one flesh together, um, this idea that they have certain specific roles, and yes, this is, this is traditionally what we, we would have just called um, complementarianism which is like a no, no word these days, or it's a word that's been twisted by people softening the biblical teaching on husbands and wives, um, in the, in the, in the Christian context, in the biblical context. But Paul goes all the way back, all the way back to Genesis and says, um, this one flesh union that you've known from scripture, from the very beginning, this, I, this teaching, this biblical God breathed teaching that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That submissive relationship, that way that the, the husband is supposed to love the wife, um, she's, she submits to him. Uh, he cares for her. Uh, he protects her. He provides that leadership. That was a profound mystery that that also was talking about the Messiah and his church. So you saw this. You've seen this submissive relationship and this, this, uh, one, this union between husband and wife since the beginning I'm here to tell you that that was speaking, that was foreshadowing um, the nature of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the profound mystery. The mystery is profound. It's less, it's, it's not a mystery anymore is what he's saying. And he goes on 33. However, let each, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, Paul's making it clear in verse 33 here that uh, when he's saying, Hey, the, the, the mystery of the husband and wife union was foreshadowing Christ in the church. He's saying that here, right? Foreshadowing Christ in the church. And then, then in verse 33, however, just in case you thought that that's all it was about, no, these rules still hold in a biblical marriage. This, this understanding of wives submitting to your husbands and husbands loving your wife as Christ loved the church, that's not off the table just because I, I also revealed to you that it, that that was always pointing to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. 
Yet if we go back to um, Sheila Gregory's version of this, she basically teaches and, and she targets her book. This is very clear. She targets her book at women. Men aren't reading The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregory. Um, she's basically teaching women that the only way, and, and it's, it's, it's a Trojan horse because she's really saying, um, I'm talking about your sex life here. And, and any, any dissatisfaction you happen to have in your, in your marital sex life, well, I have the answer. And the answer to that really is relational egalitarianism between husband and wife. That's what she pushes and, and, and unapologetically pushes this. And so you might say, okay, well, why does this have anything to do? What, what does this have to do with, um, what does this have to do with David, you know, raping Bathsheba? What does this have to do with, um, this idea that if a man thinks that he can't find in the text that David raped Bathsheba, that he's some sort of an, an abuse risk. Um, I'll reiterate it one more time before we move on to the next topic. The, the math goes like this. If, if any power differential, any, any submissive order in this, and certainly the husband being the head of the wife, as Ephesians very clearly teaches here. Um, again, we, we, we go back to, um, uh, verse, verse, um, excuse me, verse 23 for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. This is clearly a, a submissive order within the marital relationship. Um, Sheila Gregory teaches any sort of power differential whatsoever, any sort of authority differential whatsoever, any, any difference between husband, husband and wife, um, in the marital relationship means that consent cannot truly be there. If there are any any other components to this, except the wife out of 100% freedom, no, no pressure whatsoever, no, no teaching from scripture to actually tell her, um, um, you know, for instance, that her, her, her body now belongs to her husband and his body belongs to her, um, that she doesn't have authority over her body, but he does. And he doesn't have authority over body, his body, but she does. And uh, if that exists with any sort of power structure, as you would call it, any sort of authority whatsoever, then true consent cannot exist. Which means, again, that every, every time a wife would look at Scripture and say, wait a minute, I, I see that uh, the hu- my husband is, is my head. I'm supposed to submit to him as the Bible teaches um, because I see that and, and I also want to be intimate with him. Uh, I can't actually make that choice. Therefore, any sexual union that occurs between husband and wife, a husband and wife, um, one flesh union that accepts this biblical teaching, she cannot consent. He is raping her. This is why the David and Bathsheba rape thing matters. And this, and, and, and the answer to this, the only answer, if you accept this idea, if you accept this framework that any power differential equals rape, then the only way to get rid of rape, which of course we all know is sinful, is to do away with any sort of gender distinctions, any sort of male-female distinctions in terms of submitting within the marriage. That's the idea. And of course, if the submissive relationship does not exist within the one flesh union, the marital relationship, then it stands to reason it can't exist anywhere else. It can't exist in the church. It can't exist in society. It can't exist anywhere where it might normally be expected to exist. This is why this is feminism. This is uh, Sheila Gregory is a feminist who is and, and an egalitarian who is inserting this doctrine 
through the Trojan horse of sexuality. And, you know, she might care about, she might care about sexual, uh, you know, Christians having better sex lives. Maybe I don't care. She's teaching false doctrine. She teaches false doctrine in her book. And yes, I've read her book and like, you know, I did choke it down. Eventually did get through the whole thing. Um, we're going to move on to the next topic. This likely won't be the last time we talk about this, but um, certainly feel free to leave, feel free to uh, leave questions and things in uh, the comments or comments later. If you're watching this later, whatever, reach out to us. Give me a hard time. If you think I've gotten this wrong, um, I will probably answer you with scripture because that's what we do as believers. Um, moving on to the next topic, moving on to the next. Oh, and, and by the way, in case, in case you didn't know this, I mean, you know, Sheila Gregory is, is in this group with Julie Roy's, with Rachel Den Hollander, with these these the, these false worldly concepts of of uh, relationships between men and women that, like I said, I mean they just destroy, they just destroy marriages, they destroy biblical marriages. I've seen it happen firsthand, firsthand. I've seen this happen. Um, anyway, moving moving on. Yeah, I see in the comments there uh, saying which woman is going to, which 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 woman is going to marry her rapist plus the man who killed her husband. Yeah, that'd be you know be hard to believe. Now, of course, if I was Sheila Gregory, where I was Rachel Den Hollander, or or one of these women pushing this, yeah, the, the feminist squad, or as I had to call them, the rags, the Roy's abuse grifters. It's if I was one of them, I would be saying, well, but as long as that power differential exists, then she has no agency. She has no choice. You know, the, the, the ridiculous argument we heard, of course, with all of this was, well, you know, because the prophet Nathan in his parable to King David referred to, um, the Bathsheba character in the parable as a lamb. And we all know that the Bible always talks about lambs being innocently led to the slaughter. That means she was innocent. That means she had no choice. That means that she was, she was, had to do this against her will, which of course, anybody who understands anything about scripture would say, well, yeah, but Jesus was also refer is, is also referred to as the lamb, right? The sacrificial lamb. And are we to say that Jesus had no agency? No, of course he had agency. This is, we, we don't want to take these metaphors and, and things like this further than they further than the text can actually support. In this case, the idea of, well, lamb equals innocent does not hold up. Just doesn't hold up biblically. Um, Moving on, we got we still got a little bit of time on the you know, and you know I'm going to get back to this. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the PTVIP for those of you uh, who are patrons of the show. You got about uh, I don't know, so let's, let's say 10, 10 minutes or so to go run over to Patreon.com/protestia and subscribe and get that link for the for the uh, PTVIP. <laughs> so it's over there right now. Um, our next topic. This came across the the Twitter wire. I guess we would say say the Twitter wire here and um, well, it, let's just say it's got a lot of negative stuff or a lot of, a lot of concerning stuff about a former Southeastern Baptist theological seminary provost and professor and all this. And, and these are before I, before I even start going through this, I want to say, I'm not here to judge whether any of this is true or not. I want to put that out there that I don't know, you know, especially with regard to the more recent allegations, I don't know if it's true or not. And my target is not Bruce Ashford, the gentleman we're going to talk about. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to throw him under the bus here 
like I somehow know what he did or didn't do. My target here is the unequal weights and measures being applied by the, the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Convention Sex Abuse Task Force. And the fact that when we saw that report come out uh, before the annual meeting last year, last year, uh, we saw um, the Sex Abuse Task Force report comes out and it's got Johnny Hunt in it. Unfair in my in my view, unverifiably abuse. We don't know if it was abuse or not. Two adults could be just just plain uh, sinful adultery. Um, Jennifer Lyell and and David Sills are a big part of this report. Again, we can't we you know we can't verify from what was said in the report that that it was sex abuse. Now, under Sheila Gregory's standard, we would say it's sex abuse because, again, any time that there's any sort of differential whatsoever, which, of course, I would argue is always the case, there is no, there is no truly egalitarian relationship between two people. There's always dynamics. There's always power dynamics, if you want to put it that way. Thus, according to Gregory and, and, and Roy's and Den Hollander, um, consent can't even exist. It's, it's a myth. Consent is a myth, which means everybody... You know, and of course, men, I mean, we, you know, we would never Potiphar's wife, anybody here with this, but men are always going to be looked at as abusers and rapists under any circumstances. But the sex abuse task force report, uh, spent a good, it might've been the majority of the time in terms of specific cases, talking about two cases that even from what they reported can't be identifiably, uh, sex abuse. We can't, we can't determine that for sure. And yet there was, there was some stuff missing from that, that, uh, sex abuse task force report. And they were really allegations that I would, I would say under the standard um, that is now going to be used for the, the database, the SBC abuser database, uh, the standard, which is going to be uh, probable cause is going to be, you know, 50, 51% might be true kind of standard to put somebody on this list. I'm not sure why, why Bruce Ashford didn't end up in the report somehow. Um, there has been, um, I'm going to skip over and I'll get back to the, the more recent concerning kind of things here. Um, but let's, let's, let's start with this. And again, I mean, I, I'm taking this with a grain of salt because, um, these are, this is an, an anonymous Twitter account. So I, I don't want to necessarily say, Hey, I know one way or the other that, that, that this is true. Um, but there's some stuff here that really shouldn't be ignored this is uh, Bruce Ashford, former provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, saying, <clears throat> um, let me read this, this next tweet. This is not the first time Ashford was accused of inappropriate behavior. His wife posted hashtag me too, which we all know what that means, in August of 2020. So this was, this was a year and a half. Well, let's, let's say, um, yeah. I mean, almost two years before the uh, report was released, but a year before they really started compiling things. Um, she she uh, posted a me, hashtag Me Too in August of 2020, a month after reaching out to Rachel Hollander and Beth Moore for help with abuse and neglect. She accused J.D. Greer and the SBC of self-protection. So I don't know if I can I'm gonna get myself out of the way here. So this is Lauren Ashford saying, Rachel Den Hollander, I need your help. Abuse, neglect, the list goes on all within the church. 
and says, this is JD Greer who tweeted out, uh, on August 1st, 2020, you'll only commit yourself to selfish, to self selflessness in this world. If you have the next world in mind, the quote from, uh, Brian Lawrence of all people. And she says, selfishness includes thinking of others. First sacrifice. SBC has a hard time with this. We first protect ourselves and, and then run after the abused person. This is not biblical. Also, she, July 14, 2020, Beth Moore, can we talk abuse, neglect, and the list goes on all within the church, please. And then just hashtag me too. This is Bruce Ashford's wife. They're, they're now divorced. Um, again, I, I don't, I cannot, um, adjudicate by this, um, this evidence here, um, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but I do know, I mean, by any sort of standard being applied right now in the Southern Baptist convention, any sort of standard, uh, this would have been on the report should have been on the report. I mean, this is, this is arguably in terms of accusations, uh, the, the highest profile one yet. Yeah, well, you know, between this and Johnny hunt, I suppose. Um, but the next, then this is, um, the next tweet she accused, this is Lauren accused Bruce of hypocrisy on Facebook and hoped divorce would help her escape the hell she lived in. Um, this screenshot here, this is, uh, Lauren saying, this is what he says, but behind closed doors, it is very different. God spared me. He is now taking me out of this hell. Bruce is divorcing me. So, and, and, and to be clear, I don't know the circumstances, but my heart goes out to, I mean, really Lauren, um, Bruce, I mean, you know, usually when these things happen, there's sin that goes both ways. Let's not pretend somehow that, you know, I, we never accept this idea that once a person is sinned against, they're somehow, um, guilt free. They somehow didn't do anything. I just don't know, but it's, it's, it's just, it's sad and it's hard to hard to, hard to know that this stuff goes on in Christian couples. Um, it looks like, uh, Lauren had repeatedly filed, and, and I, I believe there was a clarification to this, if I remember correctly, but she, uh, she did w- at least once file for emergency custody of the kids. Um, and yet for most of this time, Bruce was still employed at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He resigned as provost in July, but continued to teach into the fall semester. Both, um, uh, both Keith Whitfield here and Danny Aiken both gave Bruce Ashford glowing reviews. Yet something was wrong, and his he he ended his teaching abruptly in October. So so you have, um, I mean really I mean probable cause here, to 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 have an issue, and probable cause to say hey this this could be abuse. I'm not saying for sure, but this could be abuse. And then we find out that uh, shortly thereafter Bruce had um, enrolled in rehab for alcoholism, which. If he was struggling with alcohol, I mean, this is the right thing to do. I'm not knocking him whatsoever. Um, you know, people fall into sin. It happens. Believers fall into sin. It happens. What I am, what I am targeting here is this idea that, hey, if you're one of us, and if, if you're one of the platformed ones in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, we're going to bury it. We'll target those if we, we'll target people if we think that it's good for us politically. If there are theological opponents, I mean, you know, if if Bruce Ashford had not been provost at uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, hadn't been J.D. Greer's roommate, yes, true story, 
Um, if he hadn't been, um, you know, best buddies with a lot of the guys involved at, at Southeastern. And obviously, I mean, you're, you're provost, you're pretty high up there. If he had been, let's just say, um, a, a pastor at a church that was in the conservative Baptist network, you think he would have escaped the sex abuse task force report? Knowing what we know, I mean, knowing what we know here, I mean, right here, right here, we have a direct message November 18, 2021, to none other than Julie Roy's. You tweet says, you may be wondering at this point why you have not heard about any of this despite the focus on abuse in the SBC. Rachel Den Hollander, Beth Moore, J.D. Greer were all publicly notified and said nothing. Julie Roy's was notified November of 2021, November 2021, over a year ago, about all of this. She was, this was pointed out to her. Here's what you need to know. It's tribalism that we're seeing here, folks. Ashford was instrumental in bringing down Paige Patterson. He advised Christians to quote, reject the temptation to dismiss the victim's claims. So Bruce Ashford was buddies with Beth Moore here, targeting Paige Patterson back, you know, a few years ago. This was back in 2018. Yet none of this made it in a glide guidepost report. You'll notice I, I called this podcast the guideposts of March, a little play on words of the Ides of March, which of course is um, the Ides of March is the 15th. It's actually would be tomorrow, the 15th of March when Julius Caesar was stabbed in the back. That's what that is. And really I'm using, using that terminology to indicate that this is all tribalism and politics and insider versus outsider and all of these guys that, that get out here, I mean, J.D. Greer, I mean, name them, J.D. Greer, um, the, you know, the rest of the task force, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, um, Danny Aiken, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, you name them, they are all tribalists. That's why you heard nothing about Bruce Ashford in the Guidepost report. It was all out there. Ashford's material still posted at Nine Marks, Gospel Coalition, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He endorsed Dr. Chris Watkins' new book, um, Christopher Watkins' new book, um, Biblical Critical Theory. It's promoted at the Keller Center, which is the place that we saw that disgusting article by Josh Butler. Now, th- this is really what's going on here. Um, the question, question asked by this anonymous account, is it possible Asher was falsely accused? Yeah, it's possible. And I said that at the beginning, of course, of this analysis. But considering that possibility means throwing out the idea that survivors are automatically believed. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, these are, these are un, uneven, unequal weights and measures. Now the, the, now the most, the craziest part of this, and again, I don't know if this is true. I do know charges have not been filed. And so that, that makes me really hesitant to think that this is true whatsoever. It may be nothing at all. Um, but, but Bruce was um, uh, driving for Lyft. Bruce Ashford was driving for a lift and a young girl has accused him of things, saying things to him, spraying something in the car. I don't know. Supposedly she jumped out of the car as he was driving his lift, you know, and, and I, I injured herself. Um, this is, and her name, uh, Isaiah, I think it's how it's pronounced. Isaiah uh, Bowden probably pronounced that way. A uh, 17 year old passenger. Now, 
I don't know if he did anything wrong here or not. So I don't want to throw that out there, but this at least should have been, you know, cause for concern, perhaps maybe, maybe worth at least a, you know, a similar uh, level of attention. Now, granted this happened after the, the report was out. So, you know, I don't, I don't consider this, I like, I'm not targeting guideposts and saying, Hey, you should have known that even though the report was out before this happened, but there's just, there's more evidence that's, that's concerning to all of us for sure. And the, the biggest issue again, the biggest issue again with all of this is the exposure that all of this talk about, we support abuse victims and we're really concerned about abuse in the convention and all of this. It's nothing more than talk from these people. Nothing more than talk because they, they, um, they put, uh, anybody who, anybody who's friends with them, anybody who's an insider, anybody that they know, and they do the same thing that all churches get accused of whenever somebody is exposed as um, being an abuser or something, they, they put them away quietly. Right. And, and just so you know, I'm not in nobody at Protestia is in support of that whatsoever. All right. If people have sinned in these ways, they need to be held to account. We're, I mean, we're all on the same page here, but what we're not on the same page with is the idea that, that some people are going to get um, strong armed attention even when nothing has been proven, have their names dragged through the mud if they're not our friends, if they're not the insider crowd, if they're not with us politically. But if they are, or it might look bad on us, or maybe it might expose that you know, like we weren't paying attention or we weren't doing what we were supposed to do, well, we're just going to sort of ignore it. That's, that's the real problem here. I don't know um, anything about Bruce Ashford's you know, um, now, now uh, dissolved marriage, now, now divorced relationship with his wife. I don't know anything about it. I see in, in the comments here, um, I'll pull up. Uh, yeah. Ashford was a, pa- if Ashford was a pastor of some conservative church in East Palestine, Ohio, there'd be 50 pages of the accusation, in the report. Ex- it, it, yeah, exactly. This is the problem. It, it really is. And I've said this over and over and over on this program. It's about the doctrine. You want to find out what motivates these people to do what they do, why they see the, say the things they say it's about doctrine and it's about power. And I wish it was other than that. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in the PT VIP segment. We are drawing quickly to a close, um, of the, 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 the freeloader side. In fact, I think I've gone over a little bit, but that's okay. Um, I appreciate all of you guys hanging out with us. Stay tuned to protestia.com for all the latest in Christian Plymouth and discernment news. Thank you for watching Protestia tonight or listening to it on the podcast. Um, yeah, hit like, subscribe to this, uh, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher to hear when uh, new content is posted. And if you can support us, patreon.com forward slash protestia. We will see you again next time. As always, Semper Reformanda.